This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, um, give yourself a pat on the back. Um, I want to start, goodness gracious, I don't even know where I'll start. Let me start with recapping though. Um, I don't want to go back just for the sake of going back. I want to go back for the sake of going forward together on the same page. So we're talking about, right now we're in, the, in, in a teaching called um, Unhindered Trust. We're, the whole purpose of what we're doing here in this school is we're trying to unhinder trust. And earlier on, I mentioned uh, how you can't unhinder something if you don't know what it is. So I want to get on the same page with what trust is, what faith is. Um, with that, I think like, who are some people that you trust? So you don't have to answer this now, but just let them pop in your head. Let them pop in your heart. Like think of the person you trust the most. Like who do you trust at your lowest points of your life? Who do you trust at your highest points of your life where you want to just share with them things? Who do you trust with your secrets? Who do you trust with your kids? Who do you trust with your spouses? Who do we trust the most? And I would bet that whoever popped into your head for who I trust the most is who you have the most relationship with. I would bet that who you'd say I trust at my lowest point is who you've been the most intimate with. There's a huge correlation. Trust is built in the context of intimacy. It doesn't happen overnight. I don't like these people that I trust with my whole life, with my kids, with my, at my lowest points, at my highest points. Those people, some of you guys are in the room right now. Those people, it didn't happen overnight. It happened over sometimes decades, but it started somewhere. And so this is what we're talking about tonight. There is no formula for it. The people I trust the most, there's no formula. It's, it's super messy. In fact, there's so many tears and some cuss words and different things that like during fleshing out intimacy, it's been so messy. But we've gone deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And it doesn't happen through this, this like, I don't have like a regimen for intimacy. It's, it's built through, uh, through words, through conversation with each other. We talk um, uh, words are a tool that we use to build relationship. Words are a tool that we use to build um, intimacy with people. That's how we build. And that's why in Romans ten seventeen it says that faith, this trust we're trying to unhinder, it comes by hearing and hearing by the, that's, that's it. These, these tools that God is using with us, he's trying to build this trust with us so it can birth something on the earth through us. It's fun. It's really cool. It's we're great. But it, when I first heard that verse, I think I was like 14. I was like, what do you mean? So I j- I'll just put my Bible on repeat because if I just hear enough words, then I'll build trust, right? But that word is very specific, that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God in Romans 10, 17. That word, word, actually is rhema, which we've talked about before, and I'm sure you guys are professional Christians, but just for the sake of being on the same, for being on the same page, let me, let me just say this. Rhema is defined as an utterance by a living voice. Something sometimes is taught the spoken word of God versus the written word of God. I'm fine saying that, whatever you want to use it as, but it's it's important to catch this that just because it's a spoken word of God that we're hearing doesn't mean we're gonna be looking for an audible voice come from heaven going, Nathaniel, put that donut down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This sometimes it can really that can really hinder our relationship with God because we're looking for something that God he's he's spirit, he's joined his spirit with our spirit, and we're communicating spirit to spirit, which words are a great tool, but um let me say let me let me paint a picture of how I communicate with my son. I tell him, Levi, we're going to the store, we're gonna buy a toy. 
And he goes buck wild. He's like, yes, you can ask. His mom's in the room tonight. You can ask her. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, it's actually indistinguishable. You cannot tell the difference between him playing with a toy and me telling him we're going to go get a toy to play with. That's faith. A living being communicating with a father, communicating with his son. And he receives this thing. And he goes, and that, he has no toy, but he dances like he's got a toy. He, he can't see the toy, but he has this hope of things that's not yet seen. He's got this evidence of things hoped for. You see what I'm saying? There's an evidence, just his dad saying he's gonna get a toy as good as him having a toy. There's no difference between the dancing. This is what we talked about before. But I'll tell you this, I'm saying in English, I'm gonna get you a toy, but, but there are times that I communicate, I don't have to say any words to him. And um, one time I slept in his room, I, I put my bed down, I put a bed down next to his and I just slept in his room. His room is pitch black, you can't see anything at all. And I don't typically do this. This is the first time we've actually slept together since he was like a baby baby and I actually needed to. So it's so abnormal for him that he's freaking out. He, every like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, it felt like every second he'd turn around and freak out because he'd think I was gonna leave him. And so all throughout the night, I would touch his face, pitch black, he can't see me. So he's freaking, are you leaving? Are you still there? Are you still there? I'm touching his face. I'm here, I'm here. I'm not saying anything, I'm just touching his face. I touch his butt, I rub his back. I put my cheek on his cheek. I put my arm around his shoulder. Sometimes I'll scoop my back on his back a little bit. I, I'm, it's all pitch black. He cannot see, he hopes I don't leave, but there is evidence of things that he can't see. There, you see what I'm saying? There's communication from a father to a son that he can't see, it's in pitch black, he can't see it, but he has evidence. Why? Because I'm communicating him with him and I'm not necessarily using words. Some of you guys have had that touch from the father and you're like that can't be God but it's him he's communicating don't don't please don't discredit that this is what we're talking about unhindering let's take the roof off of it let's break free from our, our box we put in thus saith the Lord don't touch that donut God could tell you listen you don't want those love handles <laughs> you don't want to touch you in the love handle but anyways right, let's keep going here so does that make sense uh, so this is what we're talking about. <laughs> Sorry. That's why I buy big shirts so you don't even know. You can't see the evidence. <laughs> um, so this is what we're talking about tonight. Um, when we're talking about faith, it's, it's trust. It's formed in the context of intimacy. I'm, I, I'm not going... Oh, I won't go there. I'll skip that part. Thank you, Jesus, for discernment. Um, but Levi got an intimate touch. It's a form of communication from a living being. Levi had access to the rhema of his father because he was intimate with his father. I'm not going around touching everybody's butts. I'm not, I'm not going around putting my face on everyone's face. Levi had access to rhema. He had access to a conversation with his father that nobody else had. Why? Because he was intimate with his father like nobody else is. You see what I'm saying? Trust is built in the context of intimacy. He had intimacy, so he had trust. And if you heard Pastor Kevin last week, if you don't got trust, your life is turmoil, <laughs> basically. And in, in the, yeah, go listen to that one. I was like, cock, 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 cock. I was getting hit in the chest. Anyways, um, so when we're willing to get, when we're not willing to get intimate with God, we automatically hinder our trust. We think we can avoid intimacy with God, but then still live faith. It handicaps our faith. So trust is built in the context of intimacy, yeah? So let's take the roof off intimacy tonight, okay? Can we just unpack it for a little bit? Just kick the roof off intimacy. Okay, good. I'm so glad you guys are in the mood for it. Um, never mind. I won't make that joke. 
I'll just say, I've been really trying. You know, that's all right, cool. <laughs> Anyways, let's 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 define it first. <laughs> let's unpack, let's unpack intimacy. Everyone lock in. Don't get don't get lost. <laughs> um Okay, let's take the, the roof off intimacy. Let's define it. So for me, taking the roof off something, it helps for me to define it. Um, and what I did when I, was, when I was studying this, I was looking for this something crazy profound, but it's actually super simple. And sometimes we can actually look for a complex way around intimacy because we'd avoid the simple truth of intimacy. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like attacking you guys. I'm saying this. You can ask Pastor Abel. He was like, how are you doing? I was not doing well. And he was like, what's going on? I was like, well, I just want a more complicated thing. <laughs> I just want to make this more complicated because I don't want it to be as simple as I need to be loved right now. <sighs> but sometimes that's easier. But it is very simple, the definition of intimacy. All, all the definitions boil down to closeness. So when we look at intimacy like that, let's talk about a conversation. Maybe you have a conversation with a friend. If you're having an intimate conversation with somebody, then you walk away from that conversation closer. Simple as that. And this idea of closeness and in, in intimacy is, it's everywhere in the Bible, from Genesis to, to the New Testament, all, all the way through. God will not shut up about closeness. He's obsessed with it. His heart for nearness is absurd. And so, I mean, I wonder why. But um, the closeness, the intimacy is this common theme throughout the Bible. And I just kind of want to like unpack that common theme. It's broken down into one heart throughout the whole Bible, but there's two main expressions. Cool. And the two main expressions are this. What am I consuming? What am I allowing in? That's the first one. Intimacy. Now in the same heart, different expression is this. What is consuming me? What am I in? What am I covering myself in? So what am I consuming? What am I allowing in? That's the first expression. But the same heart is intimacy. And then two is what am I in right now? What, am, what is consuming me? What am I hiding in? What am I covering myself with? Cool? Because you can't get any more intimate than that. You can't get any closer than inside. If we answer the question, what are we allowing in? What are we consuming? Then we answer the question, what have we been intimate with? If we answer the question, what's consuming us? What's covering ourselves? What are we hiding in? Then we answer the question, what have we been intimate with? I could tell you what you've been intimate with. I could tell, will you tell me your hiding places? I'll tell you what you've been intimate with. This is again, not accusatory. I'm not here to give information. Believe me, I don't even like information that much. I'm not here to give information. Remember the whole heart of this is we're sitting here. The invitation is to actually live faith to unhinder trust. If trust is formed in the, in, in the context of intimacy, it's, it's really important to pay attention to what we're intimate with. Cool? No, no, no. So in order to um, unhinder trust, I kind of wanted to separate the two, definite, the, the two expressions of that, of like, you know, what are we allowing in and what are we in? What are we being consumed by? And kind of break that down um, a little further. Cool? But remember, the, the goal is not sitting here making your brains big. You got big brains already. I just want, I, I feel like God really wants to touch your heart. So let's do that. Okay, so let's start with the heart of um, the first one, which is what am I consuming? Why in the world would that be important of what we're allowing in? Why does it matter what I'm intimate with? And if you want a short answer, open your Bibles to Proverbs 4, verse 23. Actually, you probably don't even have to. You guys have probably memorized, tattooed on you somewhere or something. The short answer to why it matters is this. 
The Bible says to guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. So if I want to know why it matters what I allow in, it's because whatever I allow in, I will live out of. Whatever we allow in, whatever we're intimate with, we will start to live out of. If we don't guard our hearts and what we allow in, then things will be allowed in and we'll start to live out of that place. And that's the warning here in Proverbs 4.23. See, Levi, the whole toy joy situation, what happened? I tell him we're going to have a toy and he starts freaking out. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But look at this. An intangible thing that you cannot see, a rhema word from his father, came from a living being communicated to his son. He allowed in, and then he manifested that joy like it was nobody's business. What happened in a place you cannot see started to manifest in a place you can see. He allowed something in his heart, and it moved his feet. You see what I'm saying? So, so we're intimate in a place that no one sees, but then we see it in the natural. It's the same thing with faith, the unseen invading the seen. What we allow in, we will live out of. So guard your heart above all else. It's way different when you look at it like that. All right, you want to look at a less fun example than Levi dancing? Uh, let's look at Adam and Eve. Hey, relax. You guys weren't there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going for you. I'm not like going in your house and be like, look, what did you do? No, we're looking at Adam and Eve. Um, so if you want to go to um, Genesis chapter 3. I'll give you some time. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we're looking at the same principle, the same heart of intimacy. It's just not as fun as Levi dancing, okay? Um, so I'm going to read out of the NLT just because I forgot my big fancy Bibles, but it's the same. I'm not too bound by the translation, okay? The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Keep your heart on that. If you don't like this translation, pick a different one. But my God is not my translation. Okay. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, what's happening here? Oh, you, I guess I should read it. <laughs> I got excited. Okay. So I'll tell you what's happening here. Um, the serpent is the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit um, of the, any tree in the garden? And she said, of course we may eat fruit from trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit uh, that's in the, the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, which isn't true, but that's fine. If, if you do, you will die, which is true. In verse four, it says this. The serpent says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Thank you, Jesus, for this next part. The woman was convinced. Okay. What's happening here? Very similar to me and Levi, but just way different. Way, way different uh, in the sense of this. We're both having a conversation with a living being. Pay attention to what she's allowing in. We haven't grabbed a fruit yet. She's having a conversation and she's being intimate with an idea. She's having a conversation and she's being intimate with an image. She's letting an image in. She's imagining something. She's letting, she's letting a conversation, she's being intimate. She's allowing something in way before she allows something in in the natural. What's happening in the unseen is now being fleshed out in the next part in verse seven. She grabs the fruit, she eats it. She, she's convinced within her heart. She didn't guard her heart. She allowed something and she was intimate with it. And then in the natural, it reflected she ate a fruit. You see how guard your heart hits way different now? Isn't that crazy? Okay, so, yeah, all right, good. 
<laughs> so then what is the result of her intimacy? Okay, let's read on. Okay, well, I'll, I'll read six again, then we'll go to the result of her intimacy. So she was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it gave her. So she took the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At the moment, at that moment, her eye, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame and their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves. What happened as a result of their intimacy? They immediately felt shame and then they sewed some things together and they covered themselves. So they let something in, intimacy, and then they covered themselves with something, intimacy. We like to narrow the incident down to the action of eating the fruit. Yeah, she consumed the fruit, for sure. But she consumed something way before that. She consumed, she allowed in, she allowed closer, she was intimate with the idea that she doesn't need God. I know we like looking at her and be like, how could she do that? But I literally just did that today. I had these beautiful notes that I got straight from God and then I, I got kind of nervous and so I was like grabbing onto them for dear life. Like they were like, a, like so you got a crazy driver and you got that handle you hold onto. I was like, oh, I feel stressed, but I, at least I got my notes. And it was like, wait, don't I need God? <laughs> so we look at Eve and we're like, oh yeah, but, but it's easier for me to be intimate with a physical thing I can see than it is to be intimate with, uh, with the God that is unseen. Sometimes. But the thing is, sorry, I'll, I'll slow down. I'll go back to I'll go back to the scripture. Okay, let's go. Let's, let's stay here. So she consumed the fruit. She she consumed it. She allowed it in. She was she allowed it closer. She was intimate with it. The idea that she doesn't need God. She allowed the fruit in the natural because of what she allowed in her heart. She consumed the fruit after she consumed the idea. She consumed the idea. Why did she do that? Because she was having a conversation. I have a big star by this one. Please do not downplay the little conversations you're having with God. You never know what a conversation with God will make you do. You never know what you'll conceive with God because of a conversation you have with him. You never know what's been waiting to be birthed on the earth because of a simple conversation you're having in your car on your way to work. You don't know. You don't know. She didn't know. If she knew, she would have never entertained that conversation. But that's where it started. What she consumed started in a conversation. Come on, what would that look like with, the, with a conversation with the living God, the God of all creation? What would it look like to have a conversation on your day-to-day -day drive to work? Okay. So we'll put us in the story and we'll go back to the garden. We were intimate with an idea, so intimate with a thought that it birthed something in the natural, an action. An action that directly reflected what we had been intimate with in our hearts. Does that make sense? And as sad as that story is, can I just say it's not the end, first off? So that's like, don't, don't be all like, oh, no. It's not the end, first off. And second, it's the perfect blueprint for us. It's such a good blueprint for us. How did she get an idea from the spirit to be birthed in the natural? This is what the blueprint is. This was, this was unheard of. And then, does that, make sense? does that question make sense? So we can take this and copy and paste it in our own lives and say, okay, I want to burst something in the natural that I'm not seeing. See, sometimes we do that with healing and prosperity and different things. We want to see something we see in scripture and birth there, but we're not willing to be intimate with him about it. What do you say about it? We don't want to start a conversation with him. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. And I'm talking to myself here too. So 
So how do we do it? How is a big word. I almost wanted everyone to say how, but just, just please remember, just please remember. Right, let's say it together. Everyone say how. Okay, how does she do it? Okay, cool. She let an image in through a conversation with a living being. An idea was deposited in her heart from a living being. She received a thought, she chewed on it. Remember in verse six, it says that the woman was convinced in her mind. She let that thought grow, let it grow to full term until it was birthed into the natural in the form of an action. Not just any action. The action was directly reflecting who she had been intimate with. I'm going to tell you right now, we're about to have a son next week. If that kid comes out with red hair, we're going to have a problem. And that's nothing against anyone with red hair. But my I kids look like their parents. So if you look at what happened in the story, what did that idea do to her? It killed, it stole, and it destroyed. Sorry, I wasn't trying to distract you. I'm, I'm just being, I'm being so serious in, in the sense of this, that the idea that she conceived inside of her, it stole from her, it killed her, and it destroyed. You look at the nature of what happened in the garden and it goes right back to who fathered it in her. Some of us are seeing fruit that are stealing from us and destroying and killing. And we're like, God, why would you do this? He didn't do it. Who you been talking to? But remember, it's not the end of the story. It's just a blueprint. All right, it's just a blueprint. All right, everyone's like, don't, don't get mad at it. Okay. Um, so there's a blueprint. So then how do we take this beautiful principle of intimacy and apply it in a life-giving way? Can I tell you, it's actually really fun. It's in uh, Luke chapter one. So we have Genesis, the beginning of the Bible and the Old Testament, and then we have um, the beginning story of the gospel here. It's in Matthew two, but Luke's just a little bit more juicy. So if you want to go to Luke chapter one, verse 34 and 35, the whole story kind of starts in verse 26. So if you're taking notes, Luke chapter one, verse 26, okay? And you can read how, you know, um, I think it was her cousin here. Let me look at this. Elizabeth uh, got pregnant. And, um, and it tells the whole story, but I just want to focus on uh, this key point for sake of time, okay? Remember the question is, um, how do we actually take this beautiful idea of intimacy and apply it in a life-giving way, cool? Okay, then if you're there, say there. Okay, cool. So in Luke chapter one, verse um, 34. So an angel, Gabriel, comes to her, just to keep it in context, um, and this is what he says. Oh, he tells her that she's going to have a baby. Um, she's going to conceive. And she's very confused because she's never been intimate before with a man. Um, the one version says uh, that she, she's like, I've never known a man, which was an idiom at the time for um, sexual intercourse, um, which I was kind of confused by because well, we don't have to get into it, but yeah, I'll just leave that there. I won't go there. I won't go there. Thank you, Jesus, for keeping me on track. Okay. So verse 34 says this. Uh, Mary asked the angel, but how? Everyone say how. Remember, this is what we're breaking down, though. How do we get this thing from the spirit birthed in the natural? How did Eve do it? Okay, okay, cool. She did it wrong. We'll just leave that there. Let's look at how Mary does it. She's the saying the same question we're asking. She says, how do we do this? How does this happen? I'm a virgin. How am I supposed to have a baby? I'm a virgin. The angel says in verse 35, says this, says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high, please somebody say most high, 
will overshadow you. So the baby will be born. So, sorry. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. Okay, stop there. The word overshadow really popped out at me. And so, and so if, as you study things and as you go and d- dive in this, and you're th- like, pay attention to what you're curious about because God will lead you down a journey that will wreck your world. And a lot of times it's as subtle as a, as a little tap on the butt, as a, little, as a little touch on the cheek from God, that it's like, it doesn't seem like this big word that's like, stop and study overshadow. It's just this curiosity of what does that mean? And so I studied it and it says this, the curiosity, oh, sorry, sorry, overshadowed means to envelop. Envelop means to wrap up, to cover, to surround completely. What is that? That's intimacy. What are we allowing in? And then what are we covering ourselves with? What are we in right now? So what was happening was he was, uh, and nothing's happened there. It's a rhema. It's a living being saying, here's what's going to happen. And then something's birthed in the natural. But what happened? He's explaining, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you and the power of the most high, please somebody say most high, most high will overshadow you. And that word overshadow means to cover you, to wrap you up, to be intimate with you, okay? <sighs> Isn't that good stuff? Okay, so the Holy Spirit will come upon her and then it will overshadow her, which means envelop, which means to be intimate with her. Okay, there's one, other, um, there's one other place in scripture that really breaks down practically how we do this. Because I know you guys are thinking like, okay, that's great for Mary, but I'm not gonna birth Jesus on the earth, right? I had that thought of like, okay, but that's, she can see, she's the, she's the Virgin Mary. We have whole prayers for her. Like, that's a special thing. That's not for me. Well, let me tell you how it looks like for us. In Psalm 91, verse one. Evangeline, will you put this up here? <laughs> um, okay, thank you so much. It says, okay, remember the context of this conversation is how? How do we birth something from the spirit into the natural? How do we do it? Well, here's how Mary did it. The power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. Oh, man. Golly. So let's look at that. He who dwells in the secret place. Can I tell you the definition for secret place? It's a covering, a shelter, a hiding place. Another invitation to intimacy. Where have you been hiding? Where have you been hiding? Where, what have you been using to cover yourself? This is what they did in the garden. They ate something, they consumed something, and they covered themselves. Don't look at me. They felt shame. This is what we're invited to do. But the good, the good side of this is he who dwells in the secret place, in the covering, in the shelter. Someone say shelter. Okay, in the shelter of the who? Okay, of the most high, the same one who was with Mary, right? Okay, cool. Of the most high. That person shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Okay, super important to really like take a look at this for a second. If we can learn to practice this right here, if we can learn in every circumstance to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, okay, just take a second and just imagine what it would like to practice that, okay? Let that image in of what would my life look like if I dwelt in the shelter of the Most High? What would your work, what would your marriage, what would your parenting, what would your school life, what would, your, what would all that do if you, if you dwelled in, in the image of the Most High? I'm oh, sorry, in the, in the shelter of the Most High. Okay, if we can do, learn to practice that, then we can experience the shadow of the Almighty. See, I have trouble sometimes allowing him to be the most high and then I forfeit my right to know him as the Almighty. And not just in church, 
I'm talking about abide in the shadow. Like every, that word abide is everything. If we can learn to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, then we can enjoy abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. So how do we practice this? I'll give you a real practical, practical, I mean like just basic. We're all outside. Just imagine we all go outside. We're getting our cars about to go home. We see a funnel cloud for a tornado and somebody yells, take shelter. What do you do? You come right back inside the church. Okay, now here's the thing. Now, keep this in context. We're talking about how do we dwell in the shelter of the Most High? How do we do it? Practically, okay, we got that step down. You guys heard from Pastor Kevin last week that we're actually in him, okay? So we're in the shelter of the Most High. We got it. Boom, check, got that down. But what does that mean if a tornado hits here? If the tornado wants to get to me, it has to go through my shelter. You see what I'm saying? That, that this, this shelter we're, ta- we're invited to be intimate with is actually becoming a filter for every circumstance we're in. If my circumstance wants to get to me, it has to go through my shelter. So my most high becomes my filter. So the picture in the natural is actually, I mean, it's, it's very simple, but, but really like we don't do it all the time. It's very easy to picture in the natural. Um, so for your heart to just copy and paste that picture and then apply it to any situation you're in. If the situation wants to have influence on me, it has to go through my father. If this situation, if this problem, if this thing that's stressing me out wants to have influence on me, it has to go through my father, through my shelter. Our father has to be our filter. It's no accident that Jesus started with that when he was breaking down intimacy. He said, you want to know how to pray? You want to know how to be intimate? You want to know how to have a conversation? You want to know how to use these, build, build these tools to get rhema from God? I'll tell you here. First step, our father, that's our filter. If anything we're praying about, if anything we're being intimate with is not going through that filter, it's going to hit you first. It'd be as silly as me. You said, take shelter. I'm just going to stand on the roof. Like, I got this tornado. If you put yourself higher than the most high, I promise you're going to be sad. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. The, the young adults are having a paintball group. Please sign up. I think, what day, what's the date? The 22nd, sign up. They need more people. I'll tell you this. I've been one time. I'm not going back. And it's not because I'm having a kid. So I'm sorry this is bad for promotion, but this is how it works. They set up these very small shelters, inflatable, small on this table. And I sit there and I have to crawl and duck. And I'm not that flexible. And I'm scared. And so I'm sitting here scared behind the shelter. But I need to know what's going on because their people are popping off. Pop, 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 pop. So I pop my head up. I put myself above my shelter. I got it everywhere. I got it in the neck. I got it in the soul. I got it in the pride. I got it in the pride. I, I, what, but what, I, what, I'm say, what I'm saying is this, is if we put ourselves above our shelter, sometimes we do that with God. And then we're like, I'm more important than you. I'm more wise than you. Don't worry. I don't need you at work. I don't, I don't need you in this conversation with my wife. I'll figure this out. I know the right thing to do as a husband. I know the right thing to do as a parent. I know the right thing to do at school with this teacher, whatever it is. I know you sit right there. I got it. And then we get hit and we're like, God, why is this happening to me? God, excuse me, which God? You're your God. <sighs> Not you, me. I'm talking to me. Just take it easy. Okay, cool. So to dwell in a shelter of the most high means I have to come under. Think paintball. Think paintball. I have to come under it. I have to go low. <sighs> Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, so let's just recap just because I, I, I don't want to lose you here. To dwell in a shelter of the most high My shelter is my covering. I have to come under my shelter. If I'm higher than my covering, then I'm uncovered. If I'm more important, if I matter more than God, then 
I'm uncovered. And it's not because he's a mean God. I think this sometimes is like, sometimes we think this verse is like a threat. Like, you better put me first. You better praise me or else I'll, I'll make sure bad things happen to you. This is not a threat. That's not his heart. He doesn't need to be lifted high. He's lifted very high already. God is not punishing us for not praising him. We're out here standing on the roof in the middle of a tornado. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. So if, it, so if my shelter is my covering, I have to come under it. My shelter is my filter. Okay, geez, we talked about that, right? If the tornado wants to get to me, it has to come through my shelter, right? I'll tell you this. A bulletproof vest is only effective as, as you are good at wearing it. A bulletproof vest is no good in your trunk. Like, don't shoot me. I got a bulletproof vest. It's like, where? It's like, it's in my car. If things are hitting you before they're hitting your righteousness, your breastplate, then you're, and you're putting yourself in a bad place. There's so much mental health stuff going on right now. And I'm not saying like, I'm not trying to oversimplify it. In fact, I probably have some of it, to be honest. But if my, if my thoughts are being filtered without my helmet of salvation, if it's hitting my brain before it's hitting my salvation, my savior, or, or worse, if I'm my own savior, then everything looks daunting. Of course, I'll be anxious because I'm trying to save myself. And that's not my helmet. The, the, okay, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Gosh, I want to go there, but I just don't feel peace. So we'll keep going. Thank you, God. Okay, does that make sense, though, to recap the, the armor? Sorry, not the armor of God. I would love to talk about the armor of God. Just you go look at the armor of God scripture on your own because God is not t- telling me to talk about it. So you go, please do your homework for me and then can, we can talk about it in a coffee shop or something. But for this teaching, let's just recap. In order to dwell, can you put that verse back up there, uh, Evangeline? Thank you so much. In order for me to dwell in the shelter, in the, in the secret place, in the shelter of the most high, I have to come under and I have to use him as a filter, Okay. But then if I do that, I get to abide under the shadow of the Almighty, the Almighty, all of his power, all of who he is. <sighs> okay, so taking it back to intimacy. <sighs> taking it back to intimacy, what am I hiding in. What is our shelter? Intimacy becomes so difficult when I am my most high. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to even, I'm just, this is us as a family, just a family conversation. When I am the most high in my life, when I, when I, which I hear that saying a lot, um, you know, there's no high like the most high. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't comment on that, but I will say this. The most high is not a feeling. He's a priority. He, the most high is not this, uh, it's not like, in, like a, oh, yeah, I'm feeling, like, I'm feeling the most high. It's like, no, no, no. No, the most high is a priority. He comes before everything else. He matters more. He has a value in your heart that is more than, that's weightier than anything else. And a lot of times in my circumstance, it's very hard for me to be intimate with God when I am more important than God. I go, and I, I'm saying this is so important for just practical application of this teaching. It's so hard for me to sit in my office and pray before God. I did it this week, actually. I went and I said, God, I have this situation that I really need help with. I need to know the answer, what is right and what is wrong. Tell me it right now. But I wasn't looking to be intimate. I was looking for the answer 
so I could get it right on my own apart from God, just like Eve. Do you want to not need God anymore? Bite on into this fruit. Have I got the fruit for you? She was intimate with the idea of being independent from God. And so she put herself outside of her shelter. And so she got hit. And that's the thing. God was not punishing her for, how dare you do this? She chose to say, God, I'm doing this apart from you now. And then she got hit by the tornado on the roof. And she's like, why God? But that's not God's fruit. It's not killing and stealing and destroying. She had to learn that from what she's been intimate with. And the same thing happens to us, though, in prayer. Sometimes I go to God, and I'm like, God, please help me with this circumstance. And especially, some of you guys, some of you guys have wonderful relationships with God. And I'm talking about beautiful, intimate. But then push comes to shove, and things get tough, right? And then it's like so hard to hear God's voice all of a sudden. It's not a bad thing. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation whatsoever. But I'm saying, I'm saying that from experience. I have a wonderful time in worship, a wonderful time in prayer. I love my Bible. I love my, I love him. You can ask my family. I'll skip around my house just praising him. I, it's like, it's crazy. If you can see it in my son, he'll be like, you know, you have a boo-boo. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Jesus, for this. It's like, like my relationship with God is so intimate. But sometimes when things get difficult, I have so, such a hard time hearing God's voice. It's not an accident. It's because I stopped looking for intimacy and that's the context where we hear God's voice. That's where trust is built. So if I'm not willing to be intimate, of course it's gonna be hard to be, hear God's voice. I'm standing outside of where he's longing to communicate with me. He's longing to communicate spirit to spirit. And I'm saying, I don't have room for my heart right now. I have to figure this out in my brain. It's a problem I have to figure out on my own. So just give me the answers. You stand behind me, God, and just whisper the answers in my ear. It's just like the people at Mount Sinai. You go up there and get the rules. We just want the rules. We don't wanna be intimate with him. But who saw his face? Who touched his face? Who was transformed like him? And who was out there worshiping cows? They were consumed with golden cows. Okay, I think I'm talking too much. Is this making sense? Does that help though? So in your prayer life, I, I, like even in your day-to-day prayer life, whether it's small or big, I'm just saying for me, it hits me when I'm big, is I automatically want to stop being into it when it's, when it's a big deal because when it's a big deal, I don't know if I trust him that much yet. I don't know if I trust him with the health of my son. Like if something really crazy, I'm trying to think of one uh, a, a thing that happened crazy. And I remember like, I remember something happened to Levi and I'm, I'm thinking to myself like, I know what to do. I'll give him this medicine. I'll take him to this hospital, whatever, because I, I trust him on my day-to-day, my normal stuff. But, but then like, there's some things that are like, I don't know. I don't know if I could trust you that yet. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. He's just inviting us into a deeper level of intimacy with him, a deeper level of trust with him. I'm not an expert. I'm just trying to like throw stuff out that, that might help, okay? And I think that's all I can help with, I'm pretty sure, so... I'll be done. Um, Yeah, I'll be done. Jesus, Uh, we trust you. We trust you, God. I thank you so much that you've invited us to live in you that we are currently in you. You said it. We're in you. The same way that you're in the Father, we're in you. 
I thank you so much. We've been invited to a lifestyle of intimacy with you. And we say yes to it now. We say, we allow that idea of, oh, we're in you to consume us, to just, we just chew on it. We let that image in of what it's like to be in you, to have our spirits join with your spirit. And let that be our covering. Let that be our shelter. Let that be our hiding space. Let that be what we come under. The fact that we get to live in you. And I thank you that you are in us, God. That you are, we're just full of you. We're overflowing with the fullness of God we've received. Oh. Jesus, yeah. Thank you for the conversations that come out of this night. For the conversations that are happening even now while I talk. For the conversations that are happening on the ride home and, and wherever people are where they're listening to this. I thank you for the conversations that that conceive something, that we start to birth these things. We start, to, we start to have your babies, which are love and joy and peace and gentleness and self-control. I thank you for the people who've been wrestling with self-control in this room right now. Are people listening? I thank you for the people who've been wrestling with self-control, that it's birthed out of a simple conversation with their father where they get to be intimate. And the father says, you don't need that thing. You need me. And, we, and they start doing the joy toy dance like Levi. It's like, oh, I need you. And they get buck wild. I thank you for the fruit of your spirit (laughs) and not for the sake of just fruit of the spirit, but for the sake of we get to live intimately with you. Oh, Jesus. We say, have your way. We give you consent. We give you permission. In Jesus' name, amen.